Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Assuming Nate hit the button, welcome to another edition of Cavs the Blog podcast. I did. I did I, hit the button. Oh, thank you, Nate. I am honored to be joined by Nate Smith, Corey Huey, and the evil genius. Guys, how you doing tonight on this frigid Sunday? It has been a weird, like the the, the temperature goes up and down like uh, the Cavs play level against contenders. So, oh, in, I like that analogy. Well oh, done, yeah. Nate. Way to start us off with a bang right there. Yeah. So I welcome I, I welcome analogies. The weirder, the better, too. <laughs> and nothing makes hard hitting content like talking about the weather. So yeah, it. Re- I know that's the best way to start off any conversation. But you guys have a, a treat tonight because um, you know our our promoters have been working really hard behind the scenes to bring. A death match tonight between Evil Genius and I over the Cavs' performance against the Houston Rockets uh, the other day because I was extremely salty. You were cries very of, upset, Tom. Cr- cries of Cavs the Panic blog were raining down from the commentariat. And uh, so I want to talk about that. And I, I, I could be wrong, but I was watching that game and I just kept getting a worse and worse taste in my mouth. And so I'd like to vomit that taste up all over this podcast tonight. And so we got a, we got a great one in store for you. We'll try to we'll try to keep it moving. And um, so let, let's just start off with this, you guys. Um, the Spurs, the loss to the Spurs was a close game. It was on the road. San Antonio seems pretty much unbeatable at home. Uh, give me one takeaway from that loss, and and you know maybe something not particularly obvious that just you kind of noticed or you thought about leading into the game or or something. So let's start off with you, EG. Well, um, I'm going to make an observation about the Spurs, um, which is I didn't realize Tony Parker was still that good. Um, I'd watched a, a, a number of Spurs games leading up to that game and I really kind of felt like, you know, I mean, Kyrie's been a little hit or miss in the in the twelve games he's been back, but it felt like he was. It felt like he would. We'd probably have a pretty good game against Tony Parker, and 
yeah, I think somebody mentioned it even on the thread as we were watching it unfold that it seemed like the roles were almost reversed. Like Tony yeah. Parker looked a lot more like Kyrie than than Kyrie has lately, and 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 vice versa. It just felt and, like they didn't have yeah. anybody that could that could stop him or slow him down, and he was really the only thing that kept the Spurs in the game for the first half of the game. So well, um, that watched, was what surprised me. If you followed the Spurs last year. Um, you know, the Cavs went, what, 40 and something to end the season from January 15th on. We were all focused on that. Golden State was good all year. But at the end of the season, the Spurs and the Clippers came on really strong at the end. I think at one point the Spurs had won like 15 in a row or something leading up to the playoffs. Uh, didn't they win more than 10 in a row and then they lost that the final game. game of the season to the Pelicans? That last game to the Pelicans. That and that caused them, them to drop second to, to seventh, or something, I think, right? Or sixth? Yeah. Yeah, it was like sixth. I, I um, but if they you lost watch... a couple more in the last few games and it kind of uh, started the downward trend. Well, no, whoever's you're muted, look that up for us. We're, we're going to work really hard today to keep our background noise to a minimum. So we're going to try to mute ourselves when we're looking up facts, factoids. But the point remains, the Spurs were one of the hottest teams in the NBA going into the playoffs last year. And part of that, uh, EG, was because Tony Parker was kind of back from a nagging injury that he had had the whole season. That's and un- unfortunately, in the playoffs, um, that first round, he was dealing with that injury again. And I felt like, man, if he's 100% healthy, it just makes them a different team. And I think someone in the thread or maybe someone in the recap was talking about how, um, you know, the Spurs rely so much on ball movement that if you can kind of cut it off, as the Cavs did throughout the game, you can limit their points because they don't have a lot of um, isolation players. Well, they have one, and he's Tony Parker. And so in a playoff series, if he is totally healthy, he just he makes their ceiling so much higher. So I'm really glad you brought that up because I think, yeah, we have a tendency to kind of underrate healthy Tony Parker. Um, And the same with Ginobili. Ginobili's healthy this year and he has been phenomenal. And, you know, for a lot of people watching three, four or five years ago, Ginobili seemed like he was kind of on his last legs. Yep. So, you know, the doctors in San Antonio, man, they're working miracles. So, all right, Nate, well, a takeaway that you had from the uh, San Antonio game. I don't think LeBron James is the best player in the league anymore. I, oh, man, it's early in the podcast. That's like one of those things. I, we I thought Kawhi Leonard by. completely outplayed him. And, and LeBron let him outplay him. Like Kawhi Leonard, those big putback offensive rebounds, he had two of them. He he was phenomenal. I mean, the funny hey, thing is, you're the worst. You're the worst at clickbait. We needed like, you know, a deep voice saying after the commercial sponsored by Taco Loco, Nate says who he really thinks is the best player in the league. You uh, just like threw it right out there, just right well, right off the bat. I, gonna say, the best player. I mean, Kawhi Leonard. The funny thing is, is he was minus five. LeBron was plus nine, and I just thought Kawhi just had a, such a huge impact on the game at really pivotal points. Um, you know, he had a couple big blocks uh, on LeBron, five dimes, uh, perfect from the free throw line, 20 and 10 from 10 rebounds. 
And those those two big offensive rebounds he had really were big points in the game. And the Spurs didn't turn the ball over. He was their biggest turnover guy with four turnovers. I just felt like LeBron he the the difference is LeBron takes plays off now. I didn't feel like Kawhi Leonard took nearly as many plays off as LeBron did. So well, on offense, you know what defense. is, and Kawhi you know, doesn't not, jack up stupid shots. And well, Charles Barkley, who I respect the hell out of his opinions about half the time, and half the time I think he's just wrong. But he also um, described Kawhi Leonard as the best player in the NBA. Uh, I think on Brian Windhorst's podcast, he said that he would give his MVP to Kawhi, which is kind of stunning because what Steph Curry's been doing this year is remarkable. I think they're very close. I would still give the edge to Steph. But I didn't realize this until last week. Do you know Kawhi Leonard, who, if you if you were to describe what is his best trait, you would probably say, well, he's the best defend, defender in the league or he's one of the top five defenders in the league. Do you know he's shooting 50% from the field, 49% from three on a, a lot of threes. He's taking 153s. And he's shooting almost ninety percent from the free throw line. Yeah, he's unbelievable this year. But I mean, that's that's and he that's doesn't insane. take stupid shots. That's part of the reason. His but that's insane. Is so good. Like, I mean, if he was like 50, 35, 80, I'd be like, yeah. wow, what a great shoot. He's almost 50, 50, 90. I mean, Kawhi Leonard doesn't have that possession in his game where he stands around and jab steps for twelve seconds and then fires up a fadeaway too, leaning to but his to be left. Fair, but to be fair, that's not the Spurs' offense. I mean, they they don't. You said it well, earlier. That's not Tony the Spurs' Parker. offense because they don't do that. I mean, no, it's only a chicken Tony and egg scenario. I know, but Tony Parker's I, the only because one. Because if he did that, that Popovich would pull him out and yell at him. If uh, Blatt pulled LeBron out and yelled at him, he'd probably get fired. That's <laughs> well, the oh man. <laughs> oh, oh man, Nate, you're just spitting fire, man. What were I mean, you gonna, EJ? I like, I like your. I want to hear your. allowed your to coach his team, and I'm not sure Blad is. Well, the counter, the counter argument is, well, yeah, that's right, because Popovich has been in the league for 20 years, and he's won five titles, and he's earned the right to be that guy. Like, wow. again, it's not like, you know, come on, Kawhi Leonard is a is a late first round draft pick who is plugged into a system. He wasn't late. Who's grown a fourteen, twelve. He was beyond. Well, he was right. Oh, okay, I think he wasn't was 14th or 15th. He wasn't in the lot. No, twelve. Okay, now we gotta lottery. look it up. Where was Kawhi Leonard drafted? Fifteenth. Uh, Fifteenth. Yeah, he was right outside of the lottery. He was the okay, first well, not in the lottery pick that draft. All I'm saying is, it's not like he came out with with the 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 expectations of the hubris of uh, LeBron James. He's not. He's a guy fitting into a system rather than a guy who the system is being built around. Right. So, right, so yeah, he's not going to take stupid shots because, as you say, he's not he's not afforded that opportunity because Pop has no compunction about pulling anybody off the floor and he can get away with it because yeah, he's Pop. He's been doing it for a while and he created helped create the system that these guys plug into and you know he's he's pulled Duncan off the floor and yelled yeah, at Tim Duncan. That's my before. NBA ethos, WWPD. What would Pop do? Yeah. You know. <laughs> so. Just for our statistical, to, to put a 
put a ribbon on this conversation. There's only two people in the history of the NBA that have had a season um, where they went 50, 48, 88. And one of them is Steve Kerr, arguably one of the best shooters of all time. And he only had uh, 80 free throws that year because he was such a low usage player. Right. Um, the other the other guy was actually but Kiki Vanderway. The Bulls did let him take technical free Kiki. Throws. Yeah. Now the Kiki only attempted. Text, Tom. Kiki only attempted 83s that year. Now that was a different era where he didn't shoot as many threes. Man, um, I love Kiki Vanderway. You didn't even. I let mean, me you can cut you there, Tom. No, I'm not listening to you because I'm reading off the stats <laughs> that I said I was going to read I, off. I just played into your biggest. Why don't you about mute yourself, Cavs? Nate? And you just ignore it. All right, say it again. All right, say it again. I'll I said, it, but bait, the Bulls let Kerr take technical free throws. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> what is with LeBron <laughs> stepping to the line when he's got guys like Delhi on the court that are shooting 90% from the free throw line? Ego. Ego, and he's got just... to hit his scoring nut. <laughs> I don't think he cares about scoring. Oh. I think it's a... Uh... Oh, yeah, he does. Oh, are you kidding me? If LeBron was in the game and he had 18 points, he would be playing until he got 20. You know, I don't think LeBron's wired that way, to be honest. Oh, I think, there, he I has think someone, a baseline I think someone, scoring nut he has to hit. Look, someone asked LeBron about that, maybe on Axis Cavaliers or something, a week ago, about triple doubles because someone had, you know, Draymond Green or something double. And LeBron said something like, oh, I've left so many triple doubles on the table. And I'm thinking, he's right. He has. There's been a, so many games where he's like one rebound away and they take him out of the game. That's yeah. it. I don't think he's a Ricky Davis triple-double hunter. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the free throw thing does bother me. But we'll, 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 I can get past that. I can get past that. I got plenty to rage about tonight. Um, Corey, any takeaways that you had from that, uh, that Spurs loss? Uh, I mean, just the context of the game. You know, the Cavs were in the fifth game of a six-game road trip, which the Spurs were on two days rest. I mean, Kawhi, Kawhi plays to his, you know, his his uh, his expectation. Right. But, uh, you know, they didn't get cream. They lost by four. Um, yeah, what I really loved was... thirteen zero run that did him in. Yeah, what I really loved was, like, the fire they had in the first quarter before you could tell they started getting gas. Like, they were, you know, just the ball movement defensive effort how hard they love was like just crashing the boards like so was thompson you know they they wanted that so bad and it, it you know just turned out you know they they ran out they ran out of gas but they, they lost by four they you know right well the spurs mo all year is that their starters are pretty good and their bench is a death squad i mean you yeah. look at the bench lineups with patty mills ginobili um, uh, Boris Diaw, those three guys and anyone are like the best lineups in the league. Right yeah, now. and the problem was so, David West gave him plus 16, and David West destroyed the Cavs in the third quarter. Right, and a lot of the talk after the game uh, nationally, I think, was it Sports Illustrated or someone did some sort of profile on Kevin Love's uh, defense or lack thereof, and yeah, and Ben I, Ben Goliver did that whole piece on just showing those those last like I think half a dozen plays that that showed how bad Kevin Love's defense was. 
Yeah. yeah. It no, wasn't I, good. I, I re- I religiously listen to Hey Wendy, the Friday morning hour-long podcast that um, Brian Winhurst does with this guy, Tony Cartagena. It's really good. And he talked at length about um, Kevin Love's defense. And, you know, Winhurst, sometimes he, he he's not very fiery very often. But every now and then there's something that's really, like, bothering him. And he got back to this whole, I don't understand. And, he, you know, he prefaces it with, you know, six different Eastern Conference GMs are always telling me they have no idea why the Cavs don't run um, like little pet plays for Kevin Love, right. where he gets the ball in a triple threat position on the elbow. And Windhorst, you know, of course, just starts going off and he's like, look, Kevin Love is a minus defender. Kyrie Irving is a minus defender. If they're not overwhelming people at the offensive end, it's almost not worth it to play them. You know, it's like, yeah, play Andy Verizhow. He's a better defender. If you're oh, not going to utilize. I was utilize... screaming at him to play Andy when David West was killing him because they had nobody that could yeah. guard him. Mozgov couldn't chase him out there. Uh, Love wasn't so chasing this is... him out there. And that's like the perfect guy to put Verizhow on, and they didn't do it. This has been my kind of fear from the get-go is that I'm not going to say that the Cavs are a better team like like last year when they were without Love and Kyrie. I don't believe that. Those guys are superstars. Um, and they can affect games in ways that very few players can. But the Cavs were forced into a situation where they had to play heavy minutes to guys who are very good defensive players, like Iman Shumpert and Matthew Delavadova and Tristan Thompson is a, is a, I would say, above average defender in some respects. And they kind of just ran the gauntlet to the finals and they were almost up three, nothing in the finals. Um, so I guess my one concern is that, uh, you know, is Blatt going to have the stones if he needs to, um, you know, depending on the matchup to say, Hey, you know, Kevin Love doesn't have it tonight. Hey, Kyrie Irving doesn't have it tonight. Um, you know, they're, they're two of 10, you know, midway through the second quarter. Is he going to be able to say, you know what? Sorry, I'm going with uh, I'm going with Delhi because I don't even need Delhi to shoot. I just need him to not get burned by Tony Parker the rest of the night. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, he did it last year. I mean, that's, that was the whole rash of Kevin Love sitting fourth quarters that you did the breakdown on, Tom. That you know, I mean, yeah. there were times, there were games that you know, obviously there were some that he didn't play because they were blowing people out, but. There were definitely times that he didn't play because he was a defensive liability in the fourth quarter. He's improved, but and and it was funny because a lot. I felt like his defense was a lot better in the first quarter and even the first half against uh, the Spurs. But then really kind of wore down. He just kind of wore down, well, and, and you he could started see that in the fourth quarter. Too. Yeah, it wasn't wearing down. Well, he that... had a play where on the right baseline, where he literally turned his back to Tony Parker. And just said, oh, I'm going to go for the rebound and not even, like, switch. Just, you can have this shot. Like, it was horrible. Well, he did it on the Ginobili, on the Ginobili drive-by, too. Yeah. He switched. Yeah. He, it looked like he was switching along with, who I forget who else was there with him, but he just kind of, again, just turned his back and Ginobili blew right by for the layup. He's an interesting case study because he does things that – um you know, we marvel at his uh, fundamentals and intelligence. I think he's the best pound for pound rebounder in the league, oh, personally. Yeah. Um, at least and his rebounding, yeah. 
Yeah, defensive rebounding, exactly. Um, and no one throws an outlet, an outlet chest pass like no, you can. Not, no one no, even comes yeah. close, actually. Uh, actually, the guy that probably comes closest is LeBron. <laughs> LeBron yeah, and, throws some no, pretty the, the Cavs have the, I, I say, the three best outlet passers in the league in LeBron, Andy, and Love. By the way, Delhi oh, yeah. had a good yeah. one the other night, too. Delhi yeah, Delhi's a, a really a good chest- one, too. Yeah, I've noticed Delhi's improved um, some of his passes, things that I didn't, he never even tried. He's yeah. he's doing now. But um, the the one thing I noticed, and this was part of um, what got me all fired up during that Rockets game, is uh, early in the third quarter, Trevor Ariza was spotted up uh, on the perimeter on the three point line, and we all know pretty much for his entire career, Trevor Ariza's been a three and D guy. He doesn't shoot off the dribble. He doesn't really take the ball to the hole. He spots up for three, and he, he plays decent defense. He spots up for defense. three and finishes breaks. That's what he does. Yeah, exactly. And the shot clock was running down. There was like four seconds left, and the ball swung to Ariza. And Kevin Love was on him. And Kevin Love took like a half step backwards. Like, I don't want to get blown by. And Ariza just raised up and switched the three. And I'm thinking... Your job there is to is to actually overplay him and chase him off the line because that's yeah. Trevor Ariza, you know that's like what you do. Well, not and only I'm that, just, there's also this is something that drives me nuts about NBA players is there are very few NBA players that have good defensive shot clock awareness. Like if the mm, if, if you're yeah. down below two seconds, you should always be closing out a guy because it's so much harder to blow by you and get a shot up that's a quality shot under two seconds on the shot clock. Right, right. I mean, you should always be yeah, you gotta, out. you got to, like, pull up for some weird runner floater. Right, exactly. I don't practice that much. Yeah, yeah, right. So, anyway. Um, and and that, that's just a pet peeve of mine. But, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, not only scouting report, but situationally you have to close out there. Okay, so let's. Yeah, and he uh, did hit, and he, you know, he did hit that that second of uh, only his second uh, three pointer at that time too. Well, I was, because yeah. you know, Trevor Ariza was just lighting the Cavs up. Oh wait, no, he wasn't. <laughs> so we'll get to that. Later. Yeah, we'll get, yeah, yeah we, we, we need to stay on the. We're, sta- we're staring. We're staring each other. We're staring each other down. Um, <laughs> so Corey, I want your take. Can the Cavs? Is the Cavs ceiling high enough? to win a title if they can't count on Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love um, at the defensive end. Yes. And I think that, I mean, neither of them will like be a superior defender. Aldridge and Duncan shot six for 17. Like they weren't the reason the Cavs lost was because they were getting abused by those two. Um, Kyrie's effort has been great. Love, like uh, how you guys were talking about, like the Love had his like El Matador moments. He had one against the Timberwolves. He was matched up with Wiggins on the wing. <laughs> yeah, and, oh, yeah, I remember. That. And he literally <laughs> just, and maybe you know, maybe that was just like a gift to the Minnesota fans. It was like, hey, we're about, you know, we're beating your team by twenty. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you something. There you go. Yeah, I, I don't know, but you know, he did, literally did didn't that. try I, at all. Remember, he watched him dunk. Yeah, but I, that didn't bother me yeah. because. If he had tried, it would have been a wasted effort, honestly. <laughs> I mean, Andrew Wiggins, players much less athletic than Andrew Wiggins, were going to blow by Kevin Love in that situation. Oh, no, so no, I was, no doubt. I, I, was okay. I was okay with it. But, uh, okay, Nate, same question for you. Well, A, I don't think that at his worst, Kyrie is 
a minus defender. I think Kyrie has the ability when he's playing well to be at least at league average level. So, you know, zero give or take on the defensive end. And he's such a good offensive player that he has that bit, which is an, a marked improvement for him, you know, from what he was, uh, you know, even two seasons ago. Um, yeah, I would, I haven't seen enough of him to say he's an average defender. I would say, He's I would definitely say he not, has that ability, whether he channels yeah, he's it definitely, consistently. He's definitely not nearly as bad as he was um, two right. seasons ago. So, okay. Uh, Kevin um, Love, it, my problem with Kevin Love, it isn't just an offensive issue. It's or uh, just a defensive issue. It's an offensive issue where I feel like the way they play him, he is not aggressive enough. Um, I feel like he needs to put more weight on is part of his problem because mm. he wears down towards the end of games and can't finish. And I feel like he's lost too much, uh, upper body mass. His arms um, look really small in that meet the Hoopers ad. I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, ever since I saw him lear- learning about the Hawks and the Hornets, I'm just like, he's <laughs> lost too much weight. <laughs> but no, I mean, oh, that, he that, just that's seems a very to miss so many gimmies lately. Funny, wait, wait, wait. Funny, we have to debate the commercial too because that's a, maybe okay. the most disturbing commercial I think I've ever seen. But it's disturbing and funny oh no way! Are you done. kidding me? Don't you remember uh, Kevin Garnett and Stefan Marbury talking about uh, all nude, tastefully done? You remember that commercial from the? I remember 90s? it. I remember it. But you know what? DeAndre Jordan in a wig and a dress, <laughs> acting like a mother. Not, not, maybe one of the not weirdest things look. I've seen. Not a good look. What about the uh, George Mira no, sign? And, and so, here's the thing. you want to smell have, like me? He didn't have Chandler Parsons around to talk him out of that role. And that's, that's, that's a mistake. <laughs> maybe that was his penance. Like, maybe that was like the hey. secret thing he had to do to, you know, to make up for what he did. Hey, you are miscast as an IT specialist, my man. <laughs> Why is that? Because you're just too dang funny to be <laughs> sitting around talk, talking to computers all day. Um, all right. So let's move this on. There's been a lot of rumors about the Cavs. Uh, some well, okay, so a little uh, part before you do that, others. any any, I I hate to to I know you're the host here, but do we what do we have any parting thoughts on the Spurs game? Because we kind of got away from that topic. Uh, um, I mean, you never really got into it. What was your thing that you yeah. noticed about the Spurs game? That everything that the Spurs do is what I wish the Cavs would do. And and the main things are I wish they would go deeper into their bench and they would utilize those guys more. Um, I wish they were more disciplined with minutes and guys played less minutes. I think part of the reason the Spurs can play less minutes is because they blow everyone out. So I'd like the Cavs to blow people out if possible. Santa, that'd be good too. And, um, And finally, I, you know, we've talked about this on other podcasts where the Spurs have a system and the Cavs don't. And I know there's been all this back and forth about, well, the Cavs have you know, two of the best isolation players in basketball, so why shouldn't they use isolation? Yeah, that's true. They should. But there's just way too many times I feel like the Cavs um, are unable to generate easy baskets, and I feel like with their talent level, 
they should never have that problem. Like when I when I watch the Warriors, they have no problem generating easy baskets. There's just none. They they play four on three ball half the half the game in the half court. And I feel like the Cavs have that amount of talent that they should be able to do that as well. So I think that I think the Spurs are more disciplined than the Cavs. And I hope that over the next forty five some odd games that the Cavs become that way uh, to where they can control the game, um, you know, mentally and, and in the half court, that would be my take. And I, I would agree with you on that. Uh, one of the things that annoys me is they seem to kind of change around the minutes every single game. Like, I feel like there needs to be a rotation that like the fact that Andy didn't know he was going to be coming into the game against the Rockets is kind of odd, you know. Like he's yeah, the Andy really thing surprised. really it really yeah, makes no sense at this point because what threw it off was was him switching Maz and TT. I think but uh, he's been doing that. He's been, he's been doing that. He's done that twice now. So he's been doing this weird Maz TT experiment for. A Wasn't month. that the last time that Andy played? Was the when he sw- when he swapped it the first time? Magic game. I don't know. Yeah, man. Yeah, it wasn't it? It was the blowout. Yeah, yeah. And Andy said after the game that he hates going in blowouts. It's almost like disrespectful. And I understand that he's a veteran at this point. Um, I just don't get it. If if Moscow is struggling so much, and TT, you know, is kind of hit or miss, especially um, at the offensive end, and he's kind of a black hole. He doesn't really help you with passing in the interior. Why wouldn't you play Andy when every time you've put him in, good things have happened? I just don't understand it. Even the, I can remember three or four times in his postgame conference, David Blatt singled out Andy and said something to the effect of, I thought Verajah really was like a difference maker. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. so I, I just don't understand then why you're not playing him. I, mean, I, don't well, know. I think that's part of the problem is that Blatt isn't really as more. He's more comfortable this year with the media, but he still isn't quite opening up onto the rhyme or reason of things. And I think that's yeah. the biggest part of the problem that I think we all have with this is that we don't understand what the, the method to the, his madness of sitting Andy for six games and then playing him for, you know, whatever it was, five minutes, ten minutes against the Rockets in the first half. But then he weirdly didn't come back in the second half, even though he was plus 15 for the time that he was in there. So it just so, seemed weird. So riddle riddle me this, E.G. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we kind of have been told by many sources, and it's it's obvious when you watch the, the Cavs play, that David Blatt has been forced to acquiesce to LeBron – as far as the offense, um, everything from they threw out the Princeton offense because LeBron hated it to David Black calls a play and LeBron says, no, we're not running that. And they run something different. So we know that is a fact that David Black doesn't have the, uh, I guess, authority or maybe he has the authority, but he's smart enough to know that in order to keep his players happy, he has to kind of let them run the offense they're comfortable with. So if that is true, which I think. I mean, I think we would all agree that's that's self-evident. I think then, that was true last year. I don't know if that's I, entirely true this year. Well, they're not running any kind of motion offense this year. They're not they running. They ran it. Offense. They ran it for the first quarter against the Spurs. Oh, the quarter where they dominated, and then they went away from it for three quarters. Yep. yep. <laughs> so, so clearly, okay. Let's just put it this way: 
there's there's some tension between maybe David Blatt's offensive philosophy and what actually happens on the court. So with that being said, it's it seems strange to me that there's been all this conflict this year as far as uh as far as uh DNPs. Like when Richard Jefferson got the DNP against the Warriors, State, he was yeah. he, he was upset about it. And then when Mo Williams started getting DNPs, he was upset about it. And we talked about Mopey Mo Williams. And now you know, in recent weeks, people have been saying, hey, Andy Verizon keeping his head down and keeping his mouth shut. But everyone can tell he's really upset. And then he played in that game and he played well, especially defensively against the Rockets. And uh, lo and behold, um, all these players in the postgame are like, oh, yeah, Andy should play more. Oh, yeah, Andy was great. Andy gives us a boost. Kyrie was saying, oh, I was so glad, you know, because I missed throwing pocket passes to Andy. So if all the players are in unison, like, Yo, Verizhao should play more. I, I don't understand why he's not. Can can one of you guys make sense of that for me? Like, why on one hand David Blatt's like, okay, well, you guys are going to run whatever offense you want, but on the other hand, he's kind of putting his foot down as far as this short rotation. Corey, go. <laughs> uh, like as far as Andy goes, like I mean, he's coming off the Achilles. Uh. You know, I, I'm I'm okay with them limiting him now. You know, maybe start getting him some more minutes in like March or so, so that you know he, he's up to full steam. Um, this, I mean, it kind of harkens back to uh, one of you guys. It was either Nate or Tom had mentioned a year ago, and it was along the lines of if LeBron was like half as like altruistic as Duncan, how much better this team could be if he would buy in, if he wouldn't be petty, you know, there, there's the tax to having LeBron that, that, you know, national media never touches. That is, you know, he, everything is on his terms. He wants love on his own terms. He wants everything on his own terms. And I mean, as far as like the rotation goes, like, you, you know, we're, we're talking about, Mo Williams, Vergeau, you know, these, these are all guys that are like over 33. Like how many minutes do we really want them playing now? If, you know, we have to be able to count on them later. Yeah, no, I, well, that's I, a good I point. think and, that and, is, that is the, the counter argument for sure is, but, but the other side of that is then you get these goofy things like Andy plays in the first half, he plays great. And then there's like moments in the third quarter where they're struggling against the Rockets and Andy doesn't play. And you're like, what? Yeah. What? Why is he not playing? <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like he... everybody kind of expected him to come back with as well as he was playing. And it kind of points to one of the things the Spurs do is they ride the hot hand. Like Tony Parker was hot, so he keeps getting the ball. J.R. Smith had that one game where he had 28 points. Uh, through like three quarters, three and a half quarters, and then didn't see the ball or the court again. And it's like, what are you doing? Why Why isn't he touching the ball? Like, wouldn't you keep riding the hot hand? It, 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 it just kind of baffles me the way they get away from feeding guys who are have a great mismatch or having a great night, and then all of a sudden you get like Kyrie and LeBron not doing their thing. I, I, I don't understand it. The only guy that seems because, to look for the hot guy is Delhi. Yeah, but it's weird because Blatt 
did do that last year. He would stick with the guys that were hot, the hot hands, and you know, and he's done it on occasion this year too. I mean, look, I think part of it is that Vlad is still figuring it all out, and I think he's, you know, the microscope of you're a first year coach, and you know, I mean, he was on the hot seat at the, you know, after the after the new year last year, you know, and and maybe his job was in trouble and. That's not the case this year. Like he's not, you know, no one talks that way about David Blatt because they made it to the finals and they made it within two games of winning the championship without two of the three big stars. So this year, it just, I don't know, I, I, every game I watch, I feel like it's another experimentation by Blatt. And I feel like he feels like this team is good enough to beat just about anybody on a given night anyways. And he's going to use a lot of the regular regular season to f- try to figure out what matchups work best and and what combinations work best while still trying to protect some of his veterans from from being overused as Corey said so I, I don't know I, I part of it is still just him I think with the gra- the grand experiment I mean think about it we were last year the same date they were just starting to come out of their funk and went on that amazing run to end the year. You know, what was it? 33 and three or something like that. I mean, you know, they, they aren't, they aren't in that situation this year. They have, you know, a little bit of a cushion in the Eastern conference. They have, you know, they have the ability to, to try things out. And I think, I think that's part of what he's doing. I think he's trying, I think he's trying things out and figuring out what works and, I think he's still going to have some tricks up his sleeve for come the playoffs. Well, I hope you're right. And I think um, a lot of people are beginning to recognize the improvements Blatt's made. I mean, I will say for sure, um, in-game things, I've had uh, just a lot less, I guess, to complain about this year. I mean, last year, there were lots of head-scratcher moments. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, I really... Feel like he hasn't had very many unforced errors this year. Yeah, I so mean, there's that, been that a is, few, I mean, but that's important. The the only complaint is they still ha- sometimes have these inexplicable inbounds plays. Um, <laughs> it's the curse of Earl Clark. Yeah, yeah, it is. But also, he's had some really good inbounds plays, and then he's had inbounds plays that just were really poorly. It wasn't his fault. You could tell they were just really poorly executed. So it, I mean, like it's that hard one, to know who to blame. The that, other night but. against the Mavericks, when LeBron did the bounce pass into Kyrie, um, the, before the before oh, the yeah, overtime. Yeah. Oh, before the like overtime. Yeah, it's like why? Yeah. yeah, that made no sense. Or you know that that stretch where you, we all knew that uh, J.R. Smith should not be on. Uh, I can't remember whoever you. Oh, uh, was it Chandler Parsons? Yeah. And we're like that—that's just a, we're, we all knew J.R. Smith was going to get burned there, and he did. And then we saw Delhi on the next possession, which you know we all knew it was coming. But give Black credit—he made the adjustment right away. Um, whereas Mike Brown would have made the adjustment a week later. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and and kind of moving on. I I, I guess it, this is probably a good time as any to talk about that Rockets game. Uh, that, that we were all that, that, so Derek and Tom, uh, you know, have been rumbling over the emails for the last week 
um, I'm sorry, EG and Tom have been uh, uh, rumbling over the emails for the last week, and uh, they have vastly different opinions. So uh, I, I think uh, I think EG should start this out. And and what's your take on the Rockets? Give us your hottest take on the Rockets game, EG. Okay, okay, that was horrible, Nate. We need way more of a build up <laughs> to what's terrible. about to go down. I know. And by the Corey, way, I think I Corey, think you I want should... you to give this a try. Yeah, you want yeah, you to introduce Corey, give us your death best match. Michael Buffer. <clears throat> and I and I think that you should let Tom go first cuz he he's he's the most upset about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All <laughs> let right. me let me flame out throwing wild punches that you're just gonna keep dodging until I tire myself yeah, out. And I apologize to the CTB audience for that terrible intro. We ready? Yeah, I'm in my corner. <laughs> right. in, my, in, my corner in my corner with my head down, bouncing back and forth. In this corner, we've got the Cavaliers were lucky to win the game because if they would have played 25 other teams in the league, they would have lost. We've got Tom Pestak. That's what's written on my shorts, that whole thing he just said. And then All the right, other corner. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Go, guys. E.G., you're going to receive a furious assault. Um, I watched that Rockets game, and I just felt like the Rockets put on one of the most putrid displays of basketball I've seen basically since the Cavs played against uh, Portland. And I feel like had the roles been reversed and that Portland team on December you know, 31st or whatever had played – the Rockets, they would have won by a hundred points. I think I feel like it was that bad. I'm watching in the third quarter, and I don't know, three, four minutes in, my wife comes into the room and she looks at the score and she goes, Oh wow, Cavs are doing great. And I was kind of like, Yeah, they are, but they're starting to just do dumb things. I noticed a couple plays in a row, defensive lapses, um, where they just got lucky and allowed the Rockets to get out and transition on a few turnovers. And so I sort of planted that seed in my head. And the more I watched, the more upset I got. Because even though the Rockets really didn't capitalize on anything, I felt like the Cavs have a 20-point lead on the road against a talented team that's playing like crap. The last thing you want to do is give that team a shot in the arm with unforced errors. The last thing you want to do when you're up 20 is allow a team – you know, four, five, six, seven wide open three pointers in the half court. Now, the Rockets didn't make more than one of those threes, but they were all wide open. I mean, Jason Terry spotted up in the corner with no one within 12 feet of him shooting a three. He should make that shot, and he bricked it. And every single guy, every single Rocket player was doing the same thing. And then at the other end, I'm watching things like J.R. Smith in transition launching a three before any of the calves are set. It's like, look, I know you're J.R. Smith, but you're up 20. Why, why, would you, why would you take that shot? Like, run some clock, you know? Like, it's like in football. Did you guys notice what the Seahawks did today after they were up 31-0? They just ran the ball the entire second half. They, I mean, I think, uh, I think um, Cam Newton only had like 19 pass attempts, and they ran the ball like 50 times. Because when you're up big in the NFL, that's what you do. You play a prevent D and you run the ball. You don't start throwing Hail Marys off one leg that could be pick sixes. It's just stupid. I feel like that's what the Cavs... They almost, they almost lost, but there you go. 
Well, okay, there's your counter argument <laughs> when I tire myself out wailing at your face. But so then I then I'm watching, and they get the rebound, and all of the Rockets are back. Like all five of them are back, waiting for the Cavs to come up half court. LeBron has the ball, and he like lobs a chest pass up ahead to Iman Shumpert, who's like across the timeline, which was a curious pass. It's like, what are you are you trying to create some kind of transition opportunity? It's just silly. So then Shumpert on the right wing decides here's an here's an uh, opportunity for me to go one on one and try my patented right to left crossover that 98% of the time I lose the ball and guess what happened he lost the ball now he regained it he, it wasn't a turnover because he was able to like half dive on the floor to get the ball back and he kicked it back out and by the time he had kicked it back out the rest of the Cavs were like just crossing the timeline I'm thinking like what are you doing calm down just like hold the ball till there's eight seconds left ask for a high uh, pick from you know whatever centers on the court run one play and live with the results and get back on defense and they just they did like the antithesis of that and I kept thinking like at any moment you know James Harden's gonna hit a couple shots in a row and this what should be a 30 point lead is gonna be like 12. And then it's going to be a ball game. And it just seems so pointless. And the only thought I kept having over and over watching this just really undisciplined play was the Spurs would never do something like this. Like Popovich, after 30 seconds of this nonsense, would call a timeout and chew all their asses out. I mean, like really chew them out. And he would do like a hockey substitution. And he would tell all the other guys, Here's what you're going to do. Now go do it. Stop being, stop, get, get your heads out of your butts. And the Cavs didn't do that. Now they won um, in the fourth quarter. Tristan Thompson came in and just played unbelievable in the first like three minutes, getting all these offensive rebounds and loose balls and cleaning up the glass. And there was one play where he, uh, he rotated from the weak side to contest a shot from a wing player and simultaneously with one arm boxed out Dwight Howard and was able to secure the rebound. And it was just amazing. And then Kyrie came in and did just stupid circus Kyrie stuff that was unbelievable to watch, including that one play, which people have probably watched that vine a billion times because it was so amazing. The little dribbling foray he went to. Are but, you tired? Are you tired yet? Tom? I, I, I'm tired, but I just I just, just want to know. He's punching himself out. He's punching in the throat. <laughs> rope and go. EG with the you're rope like help, and go. You're like just making, you're, don't say like anything. Just over, let him go. Over into like into like helping me make my argument. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, my, my I got in all these little spats in the comments section. People like, geez, you know, it's back to back against the good Western Conference team. You know, it's the 98th road game in you know 99 days or whatever ridiculous stats <laughs> people are coming up with. So lay off, you know. And I think you said something, EG, like, "Hey, they just all just wanted to go home." Okay, that's fine. Okay. The point is, you're not playing the Rockets. You're playing the Spurs and the Warriors. Everyone from day one has basically said the Cavs have no rival in the East. We all still believe that, uh, barring something catastrophic. They're going to end up in the finals, and it's uh, it's championship or bust. It's never been more championship or bust, except right. maybe 2010, but right. it, it's close. 
And so you can't you can't sabotage yourself with dumb mental mistakes. Okay. <clears throat> are are you are you tired now? You, I'm putting you my there? mouth guard in because I right, know I'm gonna. Here, here you go. So so <laughs> I'll start off by saying um, the last time I checked my calendar, it read uh, January, um, and. Are we, are we you know, using the, the Julie calendar or? Yeah, no, no. I'm just using my using my my computer calendar. It said January. We're not. Again, I'll go back to a point I made earlier, which is uh, January fifteenth of of two thousand and fifteen. Um, the Cavs were in a very different place. They were in a place that they were they had just executed some trades that were that were much needed but it still remained to be seen if they were going to they were going to benefit from those trades or if it was just a desperation move uh no one felt good about the team except for maybe Coles who probably felt that they were going to pull it all out like they they ultimately did it's a different vibe this year it's a different place they you know before the before the Spurs lost they were in single digits in the losses um i read a stat the other day that said that they were they were, I think, um, I think they were six and six when they on the road when they lost to the Heat, or maybe five and six. And since that time, they've they've gone like I think six and one on the road. Um, and it was the end of a long road trip, they a long tough road trip. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. To you know, granted, some of those teams weren't exactly hard with the Sixers and the and the Timberwolves, but. The win in Dallas in overtime was a was a was a pretty big win. Uh, the loss in San Antonio was a difficult loss, uh, but they bounced back the very next night. And instead of you know laying an egg like they did in Portland after the Golden State game, they came in and they you know, look. It looked bad early. It looked bad early because I think they got down like twelve to four. I think the Rockets hit their first six shots or something like that. And and it and it looked like I mean I think I even said on the on the thread well this could be another long night like the like the Portland night, and then a weird thing happened, they started to play some absolute terrific defense and it and it was I think LeBron said it it was you cut you, you cut off the snake at its head you they attacked James Harden they put they put Shumpert on him they put Jr on him both of those guys did a tremendous job. And Harden had maybe one of his worst nights of the year. I think it was one off of his of his um, season low. I think he scored 11 points and he had had 10 points once once before earlier. The thing about Houston is is that they are a you know they everything comes everything stems off of of Harden. If Harden is feeling it and having a good game and the refs are calling the you know the 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 phantom and ones or or sending him to the line you know 20 times a game. Then Houston's good, and they they that gets them energized, and they they all start to, to step their game up, and guys like Ariza and Terry are hitting from three, and Dwight Howard is dominating the middle, and Houston becomes the Houston of last year, which is a very difficult team to beat. Whatever reason, the Houston is not the Houston of last year, and once the Cavs set the tone towards the end, towards the latter half of the first quarter, and then into the second quarter. Some of that was getting Andy in there to really bother Dwight Howard, which he did. Uh, some of that was, as I said, the you know Iman and and Jr. really locking down Harden and preventing him from from really going off. For whatever reason, you could tell, and I and again, I watching the game from the beginning, like I could tell that 
the Rockets had given up. They'd given up, and they had plenty of open shots, but none of them were falling because they were all rushing those shots to try to get back in early. And by the time the third quarter rolled around and they hadn't broken 50 yet, you know, towards almost the end of the of the third quarter, um, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it turned into one of those games where the Cavs are like, well, this isn't a real challenge. This team is, has has given up a long time ago. Um, we're just going to try some stuff. And that's really what it felt like to me. In the same way that, that Blatt is trying different rotations and different combinations, the Cavs were trying different things. Like, A, if you're up by 20 against a team that looks like they've given up anyways, why not have Amon try some of his one-on-one dribbling? Because you know what? It's still a game game situation rather than practice situation against JR or someone like that. So, sure, you know what? It, try it. See if it works, and if it doesn't, then you know you keep you keep trying it. That's what it seems like they're using these games for, or at least games like this one. And you know, I think part of the stigma is that Houston happened to be the team that went to the Western Conference Finals last year. And even though the only guy they really lost from that team, well, the two guys they lost, both to the Clippers, or no, was it the Clippers? yeah, both to the Clippers, in uh, Josh Smith and Pablo Prigioni, the glue guys that they are. Um, you know, there's no, there's nothing different about this Rockets team other than the fact that they don't have the same killer instinct that they had last year. And it's become a, a team of dysfunction that got their coach fired rather than a team of unity and, you know, common focus. And I think that Harden had a career year last year and was you know, was probably rightfully upset that he wasn't, you know, more strongly considered in the MVP candidacy. But this year he hasn't played like one. This year Harden has been pretty awful on more than more than the odd occasion. And that's been a problem for Houston because as goes James Harden, so go the Rockets. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. There was there were some lazy shots and there was some carelessness and they were still up by – 20 and i think the, the the smallest margin the rockets cut it to in the fourth quarter i think was 14 maybe 16 and then they put in tristan and Kyrie, and they mopped it up from there the only downside that i could see at all of of how the houston game went was the fact that um you know the the lebron and Kyrie and some of the stars were still in there towards the end and wound up i think lebron lebron played 36 minutes and you know that's something where you know you'd like to have that reduced but on the on the tail on the tail of of blad's comments earlier in the game after the first quarter timeout where he sort of went off about how minutes restrictions is overblown and and people focus on that way too much um you know maybe he was just proving a point who knows but I wasn't bothered by it at all. I think Tom, you jumped in on the thread at a certain point where where I mean, look people people certainly you know are, are sensitive to the you know the fact that they they have some sloppy play or they're not they're not maximizing their you know what they could have been they should have blown the team up by fifty whatever it is they still won by comfortably by I think what fourteen points and the gap was was twenty. Um, as as late in the game as like a, a minute to go. So um, none of it worried me. None of it seemed consequential at all. It was a perfectly fine, uh, you know, and successful ending to a road trip where they went 
they went five and one on a six on a six day switch to probably Southpaw couple... Rock. Switch to Southpaw. <laughs> and it just and it just I think it's just too much to get worked up about. And, and look, it falls in line with my New Year's resolution of not really putting a whole lot of worry into the small ups and downs. They won the game. Uh, and I was thrilled that they they took Houston out of it bodily in the first half. And I ne- I mean honestly, it ne- never even never even crossed my mind that that there was any real danger there of, of Houston coming back because they don't have the they don't have the mental makeup this year to to actually mount a comeback like that. And the Cavs know it. And I think that they were they played their game. They played they got a little sloppy. They tried some things out, but in the end. They came away with a double-digit win over last year's Western Conference Finals team, and they ended their Texas three-step in style. And I still had two days off before the big showdown with Golden State at the Cube. Okay, so let's go to the cards. All right. Well, I I submit. Can you do that <laughs> oh in boxing? <laughs> I submit. And you should moonlight as like a marriage counselor because whatever problems people would come to you with, you could just talk about those problems for like two hours. And by the end, they'd be like, you know, when you hear about them with this really even keel tone and everything gets put into this nice perspective, it's not really that big of a deal. And they, they would hold hands and go home and they'd be ha- live happily ever after. So I was making too big of a deal out of it. So You're right. It's just a, declares no moths. <laughs> I declare I declare myself the loser, but I just want to say one thing. The, sure. The, sto- the story of this season for me, when it's all said and done, is going to be the Cavaliers won the 2016 NBA Finals because they found a way to harness their talent and become more than the sum of their parts. The flip side, the flip story, the the counter, the uh, the sad ending is the Cavaliers did not win the 2016 NBA Finals, despite a historic collection of talent, because they did not, um, they did not become more than the sum of their parts, and they did not maximize their talents. And so a lot of that is what we normally talk about as far as things like offensive chemistry and all that. But one of the things that we don't talk about that much is you just have to be smart. You know, mm-hmm. you have and to be smart is making good decisions all the time, getting in the habit of making in good decisions and not jacking up 35 threes and making eight of them in a game against Houston and that's the pace that that's what they want you to do. People you know? people mock me sometimes when I will tweet something about a great foul by Delhi. Like they just think that's the silliest thing. Like a foul must be a bad thing. And I've even seen I saw one time it was a three on one break with just Delhi back. And one of the players was someone extremely athletic. And Delhi immediately grabbed him as they crossed half court. It wasn't a clear path foul. And a bunch of Cavs fans started complaining. Like, I'm thinking, what, did you want Delhi to try to, like, contest that? I mean, that was an easy bucket, and he stopped it and made them go back to a half-court set. Like, that's a really smart play. You know, that's well, little a things like player. that. 
like going yeah. two for one, things like that are really smart. Um, clock awareness, like you were talking earlier, Nate, about defensive clock awareness. Like right. that that's really smart. And I feel like the Spurs and the Warriors are so good. I mean, I think they are historically good teams this year. Unfortunately, the Cavs have put together their $300 million payroll on the same season that there's two other teams that could go, go down as all-time yeah, teams. And, and to kind of take issue with what you said, the Cavs could do everything that you said about maximizing their talent and still lose. That's how good the Spurs and the Warriors are. Exactly. So clearly I just needed you to get in the <laughs> ring with EG to make my points. But I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm upset with the Cavs. I feel like see, see, their record right now. Maybe we should have done a tag team instead of – maybe it should have yeah. been tag team wrestling instead of boxing. So, we, you know, I put together this topic list, and I feel like every topic has been a little bit – I don't want to say negative, but it's focusing uh, – it's nitpicking a little bit. So yeah. now I want to get into some more neutral stuff, into some more happy talk. Um, so All right. I, I want I want you guys to do the same exercise I just did. So I want you to just finish this thought. The Cavs won the 2016 um, NBA championship because – and then you can do the counter. They lost it because. So we'll start with you, Corey. We haven't heard from you in a while. Okay, uh, the Cavs, um, if they win the title, it'll be because, you know, they kept the core from a finals team together, um, no matter the cost. That was two wins away from winning it all. That was up 2-1 in the finals without a pair of all-star caliber players. And, you know, brings in the, like, the Riley thing, the disease of me. They put that aside. And... You know, they played together. Like, that's one of the things, like, the camaraderie. There's, there's like, a the, like EG brought it up. They're, they're in such a better place than they were a year ago. And I think the distance from where they're at now to being selfless like the Spurs is closer than where they were a year ago right now to reaching the finals. Like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they could – become a team like the Spurs or the Warriors where, you know, it's, you always play uh, for the best possession. Like there was the Kawhi thing. It was, um, you know, it's not, a, you, we're not running a play for you. We're, we're running a play for the team. And I, I think that's, that's attainable. Awesome. So what would sabotage the, uh, the season? If the, oh, I mean, it could be anything. Like one of them starts dating a Kardashian. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would. Yeah, like you know, Kyrie, you know, breaks up uh, Kim Kardashian's marriage, and then it just falls apart. I mean, there, you know, there's a million downfalls. I mean, the number one that we we're, we're all terrified of is an injury. In- injuries. Oh, despite your time. Which, <laughs> if LeBron, if LeBron and one of Kevin Love and Kyrie is 100 percent healthy and playing on all cylinders. Would you take the Cavs over either the Spurs or the Warriors? Over the Warriors, I think that we've seen the best that they have, and I really hope that they burn themselves out on the chase for 72. So yes to the Warriors, not sure about the Spurs. I mean, that's you know, they, I mean, they, they have to deal with the injury thing too. Aldridge yeah. has been worse than Love was last year. Aldridge was terrible yeah. in that Spurs-Cavs game. But that's and not no a story. No one talked about that. that no, no one talks. nobody here's the flip talks side about of that. Is he was awesome tonight, 
And the flip side of that is the Cavs couldn't win even though Aldridge had a terrible game. Yeah. You know, that's the flip side of that. That's what the scary thing is. Yeah. Well, the Spurs have some guys on their team that are not playing anywhere near their career averages. Yeah. Now, that that said, they also have a few guys playing kind of out of their minds. Yeah. They might even out. But All right. And so speaking uh, out of your mind, Tim Duncan drives me nuts. The greatest shot blocker who never leaves his feet. Like he, yeah. he had three blocks in that game, didn't he? Or I counted three, where he just like was in perfect position. It drives me insane. Big fundamental. Big fundamental. Yeah, and LeBron, LeBron talks about that after the game. Said, "Hey, you know what? You want to crown Kawhi? Crown him." <laughs> but we, Wait, get his they are, he, Tim Duncan is who I thought he was. That was basically. <laughs> That's basically what LeBron said after the game. Yeah. Um, just how having Duncan there. Yeah. Um, and Duncan might be one of the greatest um, superstars ever that is basically a system player. You know, a guy that dominates the game by not trying to dominate the game. Someone in the bathtub? No. I keep hearing water. No water. <laughs> okay. Water in L.A. All right. So I'm going to answer your question, Tom. Yeah, please Uh, do. The Cavs are going to win because Kyrie Irving became a complete player who could run an offense and not just freelance. That's a great. And became a complete point guard. I think that is so important that he become someone that can at least at times – get away from the freelance because it helps the big man know where to be when he's setting a pick, when he's rolling or popping. Um, I don't know who it is. Is it's if it's, um, is it Ben or who coined the phrase that Della Dova is sort of a downhill runner. You kind of know exactly what he's going to be doing. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I obviously can appreciate what Kyrie's able to do as a freelancer, but he, there needs to be times where he does operate in more of a traditional um, pick and roll scheme so that the rest of the guys can take advantage of the attention that he's going to get. Right. And, you know, here's my thing. So Steph Curry, I mean, this might seem kind of crazy, I, but apparently I he, don't get my, my counter at all. Just Tom's taking over. No, uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> But no, have ahead. you noticed, I mean, the Warriors, half of the Warriors offense is the fact that Steph Curry is an actual threat to pull up from like 32 feet, right? Like he could be six feet behind the line. And if you don't guard him, he will no hesitation shoot that and probably, you know, make it at least 50%. Like a layup. Yeah, I mean, he's going to make it half the time. I feel like Kyrie Irving has that kind of range. He's got two and that shots kind of in the last... Well week and a half that were either go ahead shots late or game or game you know game putter awares uh oh, yeah that the Dallas, against that the Dallas Mavericks. shot was like it yeah yeah and then he yeah. had one the week before uh where he was that far well, he's out had, made it. he's had some he's had some game winners over the years yeah. where he just pulls up like yeah because the defender doesn't think well, he's not gonna shoot from there. Um so I wouldn't mind seeing him incorporate that as just 
something to try. I mean, that kind of yeah. goes against everything I've said this whole podcast about being <laughs> mentally smart. But I'm, <laughs> if he's going to make it, it's a good shot. So, Time all right, Nate. Do your, okay, so. Do your, the, why would the Cavs not win the finals? Uh, the Cavs uh, would not win the finals because of the opposite of that. The Cavs were not able to – LeBron James was not able to – sublimate his game and play within a structured offense and neither was Kyrie Irving and because they went ISO so much they they were not able to help their team that that would be the antithesis of that I guess all right EG well I'm gonna I mean that Nate is gonna be hard to beat but I would say it's uh, true the yeah it is true but the Cavs will win a, a championship in 2016 if they can sustain the kind of defense they played in the in last year's finals and have displayed on a number of occasions this year, including last night against the, the Rockets in the first half. But but if you know if they can if they can do that and still incorporate the guys that were missing in the finals last year, if they can incorporate Kyrie and Kevin into that type of lockdown grit squad defense. I like it. And I'd say they won't if they can't. If they can't find a way to get to keep those guys on the floor in the fourth quarter doing what needs to be done and find a way to make their defense. Corey, you got to mute yourself. Make it coffee or something. Corey is uh, building an erector set. Got it. Lincoln logs, actually. But right, if they so can't, ahead, they can't find, why, why wouldn't they? I'm saying if they can't find a way to to incorporate those two guys in the in in the fourth quarter with that grit squad defense, um, it's going to be that would probably be the reason why why they can't win the win the title. So look. Kyrie, Kyrie should flash probably his best version of himself defensively in that game one of last year's finals when he Definitely. was blocking Steph Curry's shot and was just all over the court. I mean, he was a maniac on the court. Yeah. And if he can find that gear, I mean, look, I think Kyrie is right now in probably second or third gear as, as far as, you know, if he's got a you know, fourth and fifth, I think it's coming. And I think the, 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 the kind of injury he had, while it can affect your shot, which it has, the shot's been hit, sort of hit and miss so far this year, that will most, most affect you on your mobility on, on defensively yeah. to be able to, to go side to side or go through, go through picks and screens. And I think that's the, the last bit that will come back for Kyrie. And I, I imagine somewhere probably post-All-Star break is when you'll really start to see him, you know, come, come get back to that place where he was about to get to in the in the finals. This is a really that was really good, by the way. This so, is a really so Tom, are you are you going to have yours, or do we want to move on to that great topic that uh, EG just brought up, uh, the All Star Game? Uh, I don't want to talk about the All Star Game, but I do want to follow up with what EG just said about Kyrie's what gear he's in. By right now. Um, Here's Kyrie's effective field goal position by quarter. Percentage? First quarter. Yeah, effective field goal percentage by quarter. First quarter, 
38%. Effective field goal percentage. Ooh. Second quarter, second quarter, 43%. Third quarter, 45%. Fourth quarter, 55%. Mr. Fourth quarter. Overtime, 83%. <laughs> so he has kind of overtime is there, though. There's only been the well, one. He's two, he's, uh, yeah, I'm being a little facetious there. He's two for three in overtime, and one of those was a three-pointer. That was obviously extremely important against the Mavericks to kind of win the game. But, uh, yeah, Kyrie, Kyrie is clearly a shell of his former self overall. He's had his moments where it's been like, you know, the Kyrie of old, but his overall game has actually been pretty, pretty poor, in my opinion, since he's come back, which is a good thing because the Cavs are still winning. So, um, you know, we've been talking a long time. And one thing we haven't talked about at all that I thought I think you guys wanted to get to was sort of the trade rumors bouncing around. So I know, I know there's a trade rumor involving Mozgov. Um, I know that there's been some talk about the Cavs trying to acquire Markeith Morris because he's uh, in a limited sample size. He's done pretty well against Draymond Green. Um, so I don't know. Do you guys want to talk about that? What I, I know the Cavs players actually came out and said they would like and they would support getting Markeith Morris. So um, let's let's go around the horn and each person. What you know would if they were David um, Griffin, would they trade for Morris if it was a reasonable if they didn't have to give up too much and independent of that not saying you would trade Moscow for him but independent of theoretically trading for Markeith Morris um, do you think the Cavs should try to get something for Timothy Moscow or do they need to hang on to him for this season uh, why don't you kick us off Nate I don't understand those rumors and I think they're just chatter they're just something to talk about. Who are the Cavs going to get? You need a big center. No matter what, you need a big center. And there's no one the Cavs are going to get that's a big center that's going to be better than Moskov at this point. I mean, if they had that option, you know, if there's a guy that can give you the defensive presence there and the size in the middle, then great. But who is there? If you can name me that person, then I'll listen. But I don't see anybody. Um, you know, Mozgov still returning from the injury, you know, still struggling with some confidence problems. But I don't see a better option out there for a big man that can alter the game defensively. Um, you know, maybe there's an Alex and Jensa from New Orleans, but I, I don't see a lot of these teams trading uh, big men for no for no reason. And the Cavs have no assets to get one. So why would you dump Mozgov in a year that, as you said, Tom, is, you know, championship or bust? The same side of that is, you know, the Markeith Morris. Where does he play? You know, there's no minute can, for him. You know, he can – well, he can – he's a very versatile player. He can he can defend um, wings and bigs. So – I and, and he – what did you say, yeah. E.G.? He, he would take Jefferson's minutes, I think. And you could play small ball lineups with him as your big. I don't think he's that great of a wing defender. Well, it, I mean, you got to just look at – you, you kind of almost have to ignore this year because he's well, been putrid. Yeah, but I've never saw, thought he was a great defender. And he's also a guy 
that I've always watched make really dumb decisions late in games. And he's a guy that loses you games in the locker room and yeah. with dumb decisions at the end of games. I want no part of him. You know, well, but that was the same knock on J.R. Smith, and he has added value to. Well, the here's the thing. I've always said you can have. You know, it wasn't me. It was Bill. <laughs> you Simmons. have not said that. Yeah, it was, it was Bill Simmons. It was, you can have one knucklehead was, on your team, but you cannot have two. And I thought it was Steve Kerr that said that. Well, maybe it was. You know. Stole it from it, or maybe it was. Uh, you they were hate- talking about Rodman. They were talking about yeah. Rodman, and the it was it was Steve Kerr and Bill Simmons talking. And the idea was that you can always get away with having one loose cannon, but as soon as you yeah. have two, they start to like feed off each well, other and, and there's things just go not st- enough guys to rein them all in, you know? Yeah. So all right. So I, you I would, don't understand would, it at all. And he's not either. that good this year. You would, you wouldn't do either. So that's fine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do either deal. Okay. How about you, Corey? Uh, like, I mean, Nate hit the Mozgov one really good. Um, as far as like where his value's at, like uh, who who is really that interested in him? You know, he's probably you know he might still be hurt. His confidence, it's like he's just so fragile mentally that you know. Uh, I, I and I, I don't think that his ceiling, if he gets everything right, you can get that back in a trade for him right now. And and uh, as far as Morse goes, like I think there'll be more of a market than you know people are talking about, like. He he's a talented, you know, four in the right scenario. Phoenix is a mess. Like, yeah. you know, and that's not to absolve him from, you know, his behavior, him, you know, him and his brother, like, you know, like beating up a guy or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, the Suns have been a train wreck franchise for like the last seven years since Sarver's owned it. And I mean, the, the team, like no one has given up in the NBA, like the Suns this year, like, like openly just, they don't care. Um, I want to say it was like the, per 100 possessions, they're getting beat by like 16 points a game since Bloodsoe's been out, or, or 16 points uh, per 100 possessions. Like they're getting murdered by everybody. Um, you know, and like uh, Zach Lowe was talking about, uh, you know, if he's in the right system or just anyone but Phoenix, you know, it's worth it. He makes eight million a year, which at the time was considered a bargain. Um, you know, Tristan makes twice that. Yeah. Like, and next year it's really going to be a bargain. Yeah, next year it's going to be so good. And, but the thing is, for the Cavs, it's like, what do you give up? Or you know, I don't think they're just going to give him away for absolutely nothing. Somebody will value him and offer some type of tangible asset. And you know, what the Cavs because they can't pair. Uh, can they pair something with a trade exemption or no? Uh no. Well, they okay, can send no. something out, but they can't combined salaries to bring a player or players in that exceed that. Okay. So they could, they could deal like Chetty though, right? Like who? Chetty. Oh, Setty. Setty. Okay. I thought it was Chetty. I was thinking that could be like a really good cheese time. You can still have I I don't think it's like, uh, how would, how would Colin say it? (laughs) Nate, how would Colin say it? He would say it. Setty Kedasiev. <laughs> anyway, um, like yeah, I mean, well, yeah, what, 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 you know, like, what would they actually be able to give up? Like, if they could do, like, give up absolutely nothing and get him and just the exemption, I, I do it just because their hands are tied to adding talent. It's young right now, 
but I just don't see a scenario where they would do it or, you know, where they could. Yeah. Okay. How about you, E.G.? Well, um, you know, as far as the Moz thing, I think that I, I agree with what with what Nate and Corey said. I think that, you know, you, you're talking about a guy who you look with a deal. Griffin's smart enough. You never sell low. And I think right now they'd be selling extremely low on Mozgov, um, considering what they paid for him with the with, with the two first round picks and. You know, considering his his potential ceiling, I mean, he was a fifteen and seven guy last year in the playoffs. So, um, you know, they and he's the only, really, the only true rim protector they have when he's, you know, when he's healthy and and his head's in the game. So, I don't see them getting rid of him. I could see them. Uh, people have said. I think Corey said this a few times. Like, give him give him two weeks off. Like, give him give him a break. Like like have him just sit out until like after the All Star break and then work him back into the rotation. Have Vitaly or whoever on the bench work with him, have Z work with him, you know, whoever, but like get him back to a place where he feels like he's a hundred percent, the knees a hundred percent, he can be back on the floor and just kind of start over. Cause they've got the luxury to do that this year. They can, they can just put him on a, a two week vacation and say, Hey, you know what? Maz, go away, get your head right, get, get your body right. And let's, let's hit, let's hit the ground running for the, for the playoff stretch run um so i i think it's i think it is what it is it's just chatter it's just with the i think with the Cavs players saying something you know hey it'd be great to get a, a morris or something like that it probably stoked the fires and i it, griffin wouldn't be griffin if he if he wasn't at least building fielding phone calls or or making exploratory phone calls but again i think it's just a you know it's a hey we might as well see where we're at going into the into the trade deadline um as far as the morris thing goes you know no one would be happier than probably nomad on the site that uh that if the Cavs decided to trade for for morris because he asked about him every day but I agree. I think I think Markeith is he's just he's just okay. Stop. You gotta start talking in all caps if you're gonna bring I know that's in. true. Ah no, but he <laughs> he's just okay. He's not in it and that was when he was when his head was in it, when he wasn't a, a total head case and quitting on Jeff Hornacek and throwing towels in his face. I think you know Morris is He's just okay, and I think he would be. Yeah, he would probably be coming in and, and absorbing the majority of the backup LeBron minutes at the four and or three or four wherever LeBron's playing. But it just it doesn't feel like this team needs that guy. And the only thing I'd say in in to be contrary to that a little bit is if Twins pretty much act the same way or maybe defend the same way. Marcus Morris did actually a really good job last night on Draymond Green uh, in the yeah, Detroit game. And well, Dray, Dray, uh, Andre Drummond straight up punked Draymond Green. He did too. But so that, it was a team effort. Game, and by the way, did, oh, did the Pistons oh, blew yeah. them out. It, they, they blew, blew them out. out. Not Golden State. Detroit blew Golden State out. Right, yeah. 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 Oh my gosh, Nate, you got to watch the highlights. It's it, It's amazing. Draymond like should have been ejected five times and the refs just yeah. refused to uh, do it no matter what he did. And at the end, he just kept shoving people and the refs would like separate him, but they wouldn't give him a second tee. And then he got real frustrated 
and was following Drummond really hard. And Drummond just kind of looked at him like, hey, man, you just got to knock it off. Like, he didn't lose his cool. And then there's this play at the end where, you know, Draymond does his thing where he gets that little flip pass from Steph and just drives like a maniac right into the teeth. And he's pretty good at it. He did that, and Drummond just, oh, man, he just, like, shut him down. Yeah, Two-handed reject. Two obliterated it. I mean, obliterated it. It was it was glorious. Those two guys, and then Kentavious Caldwell Pope, who also did a tremendous job defensively, were the guys yeah. that really just shut them down. Yeah, yeah, Steph went off for thirty-eight, and they just they got nothing from anyone else. Yeah, so but that's Reggie Jackson. Jackson. Of, so, so Tom, do you have? I mean, there's a couple things. Uh, not to interrupt this, but this podcast starting to get long in the tooth, and a couple of things I want to bring up. So. Tom, did you have anything to add on the Morris uh, Mozgov stuff? Well, I would not trade Mozgov for all the reasons you mentioned. We talked about this in the last podcast where Mallory was sort of like, I don't get why you need Mozgov. It's a small ball league. And my counter argument was you don't want to be caught in Right. Exactly. Well, and And you just brought up the perfect reason Andre Drummond. Exactly. That's got no answer for Andre Drummond. That's, he's that's serious the, now. He shaved his shoulders and everything. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that was the example I actually used in the last podcast. But I didn't. I kind of used it because I needed an argument. But I didn't really think the Cavs are going to see the Pistons in the playoffs. But after the thrashing they gave the Warriors, I mean, the last thing I want to see, honest to God, the last thing I want to see in the playoffs in the East is a, a Pistons team firing on all cylinders. And going back up against Stan Van Gundy. Yeah, Van Gundy 2.0 scares me a little. So the other side of that is, so the The one we didn't talk about. Well, Marquise Morris. I would totally, I would totally nab him. I I would definitely do it. He's 6'10", 250. He can defend power forwards. And here's the thing that Marquise Morris gives you. So Tristan Thompson is a liability on offense, but sometimes you need him to defend Kevin Love is a liability on defense, but he's obviously one of the best offensive power forwards in the league. Markeith Morris is neither. And if you take this year out of the equation, he's been up above average power forward the last two seasons. So he gives you the ability to play a small ball lineup against someone like the Warriors without uh, without losing your floor spacing ability, which you lose with TT, and without getting eviscerated, um, because I just Kevin Love can't guard Draymond Green. That's just the way it is. Okay. So it's a matchup based move. It would it would be just like bring in Shaq so we don't have to double team Dwight Howard. I would bring in Markeith Morris so that when you play the when you play the Warriors in the finals, you've got that you know in your holster. Okay, well, I hope so, it would work out better than the Shaq thing. Yeah. So um, along with that, we've kind of ignored the fact that the Wode, the Wodge report from Yahoo Sports said that the Suns have been trying to piece together a multi-team trades to deal Morris with the Cavs as a quote-unquote facilitator, which means not necessarily getting Morris. So if the Cavs are getting a piece, basically I'm assuming somebody – is gonna they're gonna rent their exception or something? I don't exactly know how the Cavs could even be a facilitator. What does this Cavs team need that they don't have? Uh, Corey, 
Uh, Tom, was it you last week that brought up uh, Ariza? I didn't. Um, I, uh, someone did. Someone I, brought it up. Been, uh, it might have been Mallory. Someone brought up Ariza and that getting a 3 and D guy would be useful. He does love yeah. the Rockets, too. He does. <laughs> he does. Uh, what, what about you, EG? Um, I honestly don't think they need anything. I think they have everything they need on the roster. Um, they have, they have all the pieces. They just need them to get, uh, up to speed fully like Kyrie and, and Maz. And if those guys play the way they're capable of playing, I don't think, I don't, I can't imagine they need anybody else. I think, I think Andy is a perfect sort of energy guy off the bench. If they need that guy, I think that Mo will be great for spot shooting when they need it down the road. I, I, I can't see a, a need. Maybe if maybe, a, you know, like you say, a three and D guy, if there was one available, but I just don't know that there will be a guy that, I mean, will there be a guy that's worth the 15th spot on the bench? Maybe, but I don't see one out there in the immediate future. Tom. Well, I just, I mean, you kind of said before, Nate, that there's no one that the Cavs could get that would be a rim protector. I think what the Cavs are really lacking on offense is that when they um, when they play Mozgov instead of TT, those plays where whether it's Delhi or LeBron or Kyrie and they create some durable penetration, the defense has to respect it and the, and the role man or the weak side man dives to the hoop. That's been such a huge play for the Cavs now for going on a year. And it's not really working with Mozgov. It's not working with Mozgov and Delhi. Um, I think Kyrie's had a little better chemistry with Mozgov. Yeah. I don't know who's out there that the Cavs could get that would be finishing those plays with better hands and with better uh, body control. But that you know, a big man, a big center that can finish those dive plays is the only thing that I think the Cavs are lacking. And so, Mozgov, can't, he can be that guy. He's just not. So basically, you can either rehabilitate Mozgov and get the Mozgov we saw last year back, or you get a replacement that kind of does the similar function, which I don't know how you would do that. So let me throw a name out there that um, Tyson Chandler would you take on that kind of albatross of a contract uh, for a guy that's a heady veteran, can do all the things you just said, uh, plays really good defense, but is old and older and injury prone? Would you, would you take that on? Because I got to think that the Suns are like, what do we do with this guy? Because he doesn't really fit what we have right now. Is that a guy you would look at along those lines? Well, he was really good last year, and this year he's been terrible. So just like Morris, I mean, how much of it is the dysfunction in Phoenix and how much of it is they've, they've, they're just not as good as they were last year? I don't know the answer to that. But if you look at what Tyson Chandler did last year for Dallas at age 32, he was phenomenal last year. I mean, he might have had his best season ever last year, one of his best ever. So, yeah. Maybe would, they can do would, it too for I mean, it, it might be similar to what happened with Smith and Shumpert. You know, they, they got out of a toxic environment and they got on a good team and they've been valuable. I mean, I yes, I would. I would take a flyer on him 
Um, because that would be the his, what is his salary? Thirteen million. Taking his contract and and Morris might be. I mean, that might be the thing that the Suns would look at as a, a value add to say, okay, well, let's let's just let's trade. You know, maybe it's two separate deals, but you do Chandler and Morris for some combination of of Mozgov, the you know the the trade exception, and you know, and and second round draft picks or something like that. Yeah, I just don't know if you could get enough money to do that because yeah. yeah, the problem um, with the deal is the only way you could really do it, Andy, you, is you'd have Andy. to trade Andy. Yeah, you'd yeah. have to. Yep. Yeah, as the president of the hashtag. Never trade Andy Club. I'm ending the discussion right now. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, you're right, Nate. We're going on like, what, four hours okay, now? Okay, so the other part of that, with the, the thing we have to talk about, and you just touched on that with um, Draymond Green trying to get thrown out of a game, basically. Today, the most ridiculous poll results in the history of the NBA. Oh um, my gosh! Um, and, and Tom, you can you. I'll, I'll let you take over here because I'm cueing you. Here. Somewhat, somewhat predictably, Delavadova was ranked by players as the dirtiest player in the league. I guess there's been some commentary about how useful this poll was and how well was it was it, okay, done. Okay, so it was by players. Yeah, but someone said like players could vote twice or something. So people were making jokes about how Al Horford's sister or whatever voted twice or so. I don't know. But the bottom line is there is now a you know sort of semi-official um, report floating around. It was, it was players and coaches, by the way. Okay, and in the in this is on Pro Basketball Talk, um, and in it. You know, there was a couple Eastern Conference scouts mentioned that said that's patently ridiculous. Like the guy just hustles and players today don't like players that hustle and the league's gotten soft. And that that would be half of my argument. Um, my other argument would just be, I think Della Vadova just annoys the living hell out of everyone. And so, I mean, they whine about him being dirty because they feel like maybe they can get him to have a bad reputation so referees won't allow him to like fight through screens the way he does or referees will be more prone to call him for flagrance you know on fouls that they would otherwise just call a regular foul and i've seen this in action you know i i watched in 2009 after game one stan van gundy worked the referees so hard and every other thing out of his mouth in every media session was just about how ridiculous it was how many free throws LeBron was shooting and how it was just so unfair and the league was in the bag for LeBron and the league you know was still trying to improve its image in the wake of the Donahue thing and the Dwayne Wade finals that like the very next game every time the Cavs breathed on um, Hito Turkoglu 40 feet from the hoop it was a foul and if you go back and look at those box scores the Rockets shot an insane amount of free throws throughout that series. And, I mean, I can almost guarantee you that Stan Van Gundy had a lot to do with that, with the way he just set that whole thing up. And I feel like that's what people are trying to do about Del Vidova. Like, you watch – I mean, you watched in that Hawks series when 
when Al Horford pulls him down. And as he's flailing, his head hits the floor. And then after that, knocks into the side of Horford's leg. And Horford throws an elbow at his skull. And then, you know, complains about how Delhi was going for his... I mean, it's patently ridiculous. But that is like now a bullet point against Delhi. Yeah, like, oh, well, then there the was insane the whole Horford thing, thing is, the insane thing is, is Delhi has one flagrant foul in his entire career. And it was that because one, he's not a dirty player. Right. And it, well, and he's not a guy that can take a guy out up high, you know, and he does. He's never done it. I mean, he had that one against uh, God, who was it? Mason Plumley, one of the Plumleys, one of the many where he Plumleys. jumped to intercept a pass, but he was too late. Is that no, the one you're he kind of like just leveraged him and did the like over the hip takedown, but it really wasn't even that bad. I mean, it was a borderline flagrant. That was, yeah, that was the one. Yeah, I remember what you're talking about yeah. because so it was anyway, an outlet pass. No, it was an outlet pass. Yeah. He got there late. He jumped, I thought, but got there late and it turned in like a tackle. And then yeah. as Plumlee or whoever was falling, yeah. Delhi tried to catch him. Yeah, and then they called it a flagrant. So the other he, part of that that's ridiculous is you've got these guys like Draymond Green fouls on every single play, and, and I feel like, and I, I, you, we may have to go back and edit this podcast. I honestly feel like part of this is racism. That <laughs> I, I seriously do. Well, that if I, well, I was, Patrick, by, by the way, huh? I think you're looking for a different. Word. I, don't, I don't think it's racism. I think I know I where you're going. With if this, if Delhi were Patrick, Patrick Beverly plays defense harder, more dirty, and more aggressively than Delhi. Uh, but he is black, and Delhi is white. Now the other, I part think it's of it, not. It's not racism. It's nationalism because the top three guys, yeah, are all. Oh, no, listen, it's Delhi. <laughs> And number two is Bogut, and number three, no, no, number two is Stephen Adams, who's a Kiwi, and number three is Bogut, who's also a star. Well, here's the other yeah. thing: there, Delhi's high profile because he's on a team that was in the finals, and everybody so, saw the, uh, you know, uh, the game, the Hawks, and then the Bulls last year, and everybody's Hawks, watching those games. So there is that as well. Yeah. All right, now we definitely might need to edit this. Do you guys, did I dream this or do you guys recall at some point, maybe after the finals, LeBron's high school buddy, do you know where I'm going with this? I do any of you guys remember this? this. Mm. Did I dream up that LeBron's high school buddy, Sean Cotton, I think is his name, made some, made some yeah, it's spelled like Siam, but I think it's Sean. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He, he made some comment on Instagram or something about, Delhi playing like a retard or something. Did I did I completely imagine this? Because I I like remembered it vividly, and then when and then months later when I went to look it up, I couldn't find it. Do you guys remember anything like this? I, I no. Well, maybe it didn't happen, and we should just edit that I all that I said all this. But so <laughs> Tom's getting Nate, delusional. Nate, you're yeah maybe you're you're calling it racism. I, well, I mean, I know exact. I know exactly what it is because uh, I've that's seen my this. hot sport. That's my Skip Bayless hot sports take. Just to, I've seen this in all levels of sports, and I call it, I call it in this case the Delhi effect. When 
the, the reason that people's perceptions of Delhi are so divergent is because of the way we absorb basketball. And so this vine that I can pull up for you that um, shows Jared Bayless crossing over Delhi and Delhi just like his ankles explode and he flails back <laughs> like he was just shot with a sniper bullet. And it looked so hilariously awful. Like that's how a lot of people view Delhi. Like he's this player that doesn't belong because he jumps off the wrong leg and because his shot is so he has such an awkward release and because he doesn't look like a basketball player and because all these hip urban guys making these cool poses in a photo and there's this nerdy white guy that looks like he should be like a trainer or something that's just given a the whitest thumbs up you've ever seen. He doesn't look like an NBA player in any way. And I think that creates just like cognitive, cognitive, cognitive dissonance with people because then when he does good things, it doesn't register because their preconceived bias is that he sucks. And then when he like airballs a three, they remember that and they get angry about right. that. And, you know, it's yeah, cool. Despite Kobe, the fact that he's shooting over 40 percent. Yeah. Year. Oh, no. <laughs> if Kobe airballs a three, th- there was a similar but completely opposite effect with Kobe and that he took so many difficult shots that people didn't care that he missed them because it was almost like he was rewarded because it looked cool and it was a tough shot. Okay. Delhi gets penalized for the way he looks. So he hustles, he gets loose balls, he drives people crazy and the players themselves can't figure out how they're losing to this guy because they don't respect him as an NBA player either. Okay. I believe that the other part, the other thing I was going to say Man, has the NBA gotten soft? Yeah, if Delhi's the dirtiest player. I mean, come on. I know. I'm sitting here thinking about Horn and Bill Lambert and John Stockton. Uh, He's. I've never even seen Delhi do the Stockton move where he grabs the guy's jersey and pulls him on top of him to get an offensive foul. You know, that the only thing I've ever even seen Delhi do to try to like, I've seen twice. um, He tried to actually irritate someone the first was the quote-unquote leg lock <laughs> which i mean give me a break how much on touch force yeah. can you put how much force can you put on someone's like you know tibia with your <laughs> legs like that i mean give me a break he's not sonia blade doing a fatality <laughs> i mean it was just silly um and then the other thing was when draymond you know gave him that cheap shot in the finals, and then immediately after, he just like ran over and decked Draymond, and it was in retaliation. It wasn't even him doing it. Those are the only two times I can remember where you could be like, "Okay, you can tee up Delhi for that." That was it. You know, well, it's he's like had a couple how, more, but yeah, it's it's. Well, I, I mean, the whole Kyle Korver thing speaks to it. Like people honestly believe that Kyle Korver play is dirty. It's like diving for a loose ball is dirty. And, and they if, say, oh, no, look at how Kyle he, like, Corver rolled into it. had gotten on the floor, he wouldn't have gotten hurt, but he tried to – it's like a fumble. They always say, don't try and pick up the fumble and go to the end zone. Die, Die on it. it. You're a defensive player. You're not going to score. You know, right. th- it's the same thing with Kyle Korver. If Kyle Korver hadn't have played like a wuss, he wouldn't have gotten hurt. Well, in the Rockets game, I think it was um, Trevor Ariza dove on the floor for a loose ball and did that rugby role um yeah. in the deli and i immediately said on twitter oh hey look it's uh 
it's Trevor Ariza trying to take out Deli's knees. Cue the outrage, you know? And it's like, no, no one's going to out, be outraged by that because he's diving on the floor for a loose ball. It's a great play. It's what you're supposed to do. It's just, it's just stunning that people best, think Deli is dirty. The best part about it, though, is that it'll have absolutely zero effect on, on Della Vadova and how he plays the game. He's just, he doesn't care. And that's, yeah, that's the great part about it. to that, too, yeah. He may yeah. not be oblivious, but he just doesn't care. I think. I think he's like. You know I, what? I don't think he cares either. He got in. He got into the league playing the game this way. He plays hard, and if people want to call him dirty, so be it. it, it like you said, Nate, he's only ever had one one flagrant foul. And until the refs say, "Hey, that's a flagrant foul," he's going to play his game. Yeah, I mean, I've seen guys. I mean, Patrick. Oh, who was the guy? Who was the nut tugger? Oh, Reggie the Nut Tugger Evans. Yeah, I mean, in a league oh. where we had Reggie Evans, I mean, Dilly doesn't even register. You know, That's one of the all-time yeah. greatest media interviews is when they were interviewing Chris <laughs> Kane. <laughs> and then afterwards, Doc Rivers was in studio with um, the TNT crew, and they were all just... that. That's a great... That's a, yeah, so the I scale here is Jimmer Fredette to Reggie Evans. You know, I mean, on a scale of Jimmer Fredette to Reggie Evans, where does Dilly register? I would put I him mean. closer to Jimmer. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's a tough player. And I think, you know, maybe, I mean, some of the things that I get, you know, that drive me crazy about the way Draymond Green grabs jerseys all oh the time. Gosh. That's, you know, that drives me crazy. But there's probably fans watching Dilly fight through screen saying like, now, how come he's allowed to just be, be bumping and grinding that whole time? And it's like, well, I don't know. The refs are letting him do it. The refs, the refs are allowing him to fight through a screen. So, And sometimes they call him for excessive contact. But what a Mike Brown player. He just makes people feel him at all times. He's and, playing Mike Brown's kids. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so Corey, what, Corey, 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 blow my mind. Is Delia a dirty player? Uh, he's the kind of player that if he plays for your team, you love him. And if he doesn't, you don't. I mean, wasn't a couple weeks ago he, like, jumped on someone's back, like, at, <laughs> yeah. at the free throw? Like, which yeah, well, I thought was really hilarious. Dumb <laughs> NBA loophole where you can't intentional foul off the ball unless it's on a free throw that a guy makes in the last – like, it was the weird – on a Thursday – with a full moon. You know, it was like yeah. the weirdest. It was great. It was so funny, but I could yeah. see other, if, if he played for another team, like I could see hating him. But and that's like just thing. the appeal. Like how many NBA players if the coach told him to do that would just say, no, I'm not doing that. Like Delhi yeah, just exactly. does that. That's what I love about it. Like, if like y'all, you'll make three foul that. If you ask Swaggy I'll P to do that, that <laughs> would he do it? Swaggy P oh, wouldn't do God. that in a million years. He's like a Hanson brother. He is. Oh, you want to go mess him up, coach? We'll mess him up. We'll mess him up, coach. <laughs> I know other teams hate Delhi, and I love it. I just, I think, yeah. think it's a, I think saying someone's a dirty player is a is a pretty strong accusation, yeah. and I don't There's think it's fair. Difference between being an irritating player and being a dirty player. Yeah, he's irritating, yeah. not dirty. Yeah. Right. All right. So. Unless there's anything else you guys up. want to talk, we, we got to wrap it up. But I want to, I do want to end on something that we haven't talked about. We we may have Nima, to make this a two parter. 
No, we're, we our people want to digest all this. I'm sure. <laughs> um, Iman Shumpert's defense. These strips he's coming up with against these high-profile players. That that strip on Dirk, and then the strip on uh, uh, who was it? Was it Monte Ellis? Who did he? Who he did he strip in overtime? In that game. Who did he strip in overtime? I'm trying to remember, not Monte Ellis. I'm trying to remember who. Will, Williams. Williams. Oh, Darren Williams. Darren Williams. Darren Williams. Yeah. Darren Williams. Yeah, I, I mean, and then shutting down Harden. Darren Williams, or as I like to call him, Mister First Quarter. Like, is 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 Shumpert one of the top five perimeter defenders in the league right now? Derek, I mean, E.G. Yeah, I think I think he's uh, I think he's absolutely the he's the best defender I've seen in a while. I mean, look, I I when we had to do the five on five to start the season and. Or before the season, we were we were picking the guys that we thought would be, you know, the most improved player. I really felt like it'd be Shumpert, and unfortunately, like two days later, they they announced that it, you know he had the wrist injury and be out for a couple of months. I still think by the end of the season, I, I think I, I really feel like look, he's tw- he's still twenty four years old, I think maybe twenty five, but Shumpert's got so much raw ability, and he's only just begun gun to harness i think and this is what people raved about on, on him it's why the knicks drafted him as high as they did out of out of georgia tech is because he is this defensive stopper guy he can play on the perimeter like the like nobody we've seen since say like tony allen like he's that he he's that guy and that's who the Cavs coveted and i think he's He's rapidly becoming that guy, and I think the the more he plays, the more we'll see just how good of a of a defender on the perimeter he is. Yeah, his defense has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, I mean, Dirk getting to that spot is almost automatic, and and I love what Shump said in the post game, which was, "I'm not gonna try to block his shot. That's just stupid." Shoot right you know, over, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean that is really heady defense. And, well, and not only that, man, that is that is the scouting too. He knew exactly what the go-to move was going to be, and he jumped. Yeah, it. yeah. And he that, said at the like end of the game, the he said, "I watch." He says, "I watch a lot of film. I watch a lot of tape." And he does. And clearly, you have to to be that guy. You've got to know what 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 players' tendencies are, so you know where to put your hand to get the ball and not the foul. And one of the things, you know, we, we talk about how Kyrie and Love were injured, but what we don't talk about from the finals is that Shump was dealing with a groin injury throughout the playoffs, and it really oh, yeah. took its toll on him um, the further the Cavs went into the playoffs. And then, of course, Delhi, after the exhaustion game, was just not the same guy. Um, so well, having a healthy... Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Foles. <laughs> having having a having a totally healthy Shumpert, which is a tall order because the guy's always getting injured, but having a healthy Shumpert, oh my gosh, like the momentum changing plays where you know one team's running downhill and it just looks like they're gonna finish and then he just strips the ball and starts heading the other way. I mean it's like he's, a pick six. I mean it's he's just as huge. big as he's as big of an eraser doing that as TT is an eraser of mistakes with the offensive boards. Yeah. 
And it's just having two guys like that on the court, having the ability to have two guys like that on a court, you're gonna get you're gonna get extra possessions, and that's yeah. the that's the name of the game, especially when it comes to the playoffs. Well, and the yeah. other thing is, I mean, there are a lot of really good defensive big men in the league that alter shots and protect, but there are very few elite perimeter defenders in the league and that makes I, them almost even more valuable from a you know a scarcity standpoint I, I totally agree i mean think about a guy like tony allen that is a just i mean an absolute liability on offense i mean he, he's a coveted player just yeah. because he is such an elite perimeter defender and yeah i feel like shump is like approaching that and, level. and you know what shump's corner three has been pretty solid this year which i've really enjoyed yeah. he, when his feet are set he He's got a really nice release. It's just yeah. when he's trying to do stuff off the dribble or like fading, it just yeah. it's ugly. And he's oddly a, a not a very good finisher, which just kind of is baffling. Yeah, for as athletic he is, you're right. Yeah. Speaking of finishers, did so you guys see like this podcast? Yeah, <laughs> Steph Curry. <laughs> Steph Curry had a soft slam the other night on an uncontested breakaway, and like the whole media went crazy. And it's like, isn't Steph Curry like? Six three or something like that, or six four. Like he's not like five ten. Like shouldn't he be able to dunk? Like everyone made like a big deal about it. Talked about. I forget what the the official ESPN tweet was about him like throwing down the jackhammer or something. It was like this little soft slam where he just held the ball above the rim and kind of dropped it in. But, okay, Tom, we we are now at the point of the podcast where you are picking random highlights from a week well, ago. Well, I just think, talking about I just think Come on, I'm tired. It's time to I'm wrap it up. Of, I'm tired of Steph Curry being the golden boy. Well, and I, and what you know was his comment? Is what was gone, his comment? Sorry. What was his comment about the champagne? Oh, oh he uh, he said he was asked about um, going back to Cleveland. And uh, the quote was something like, "Well, I, you know, I hope that the you know the locker room still still has a champagne smell to it, which seemed like uh-huh. terrific uh-huh. bullet material for the Cavs." Yeah, I cannot stand that guy. I don't care what anyone says about how likable he is. I would agree. Not and, if Deli, and if Deli wants, if he's if, if, if he's going to get the rep, he might yeah. as well do it. You know, if he's going to get the gonna, blame. If Deli if wants that second wake up and read this, yeah, if he's going to read this uh, report and go, oh, I'm dirty. All right, well, I'm going to earn it. Um, I would not mind him laying into Steph Curry <laughs> on one of those little wimpy floaters that he throws up there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got to wrap it up. Um, I guess let's finish by uh, what are you looking forward to about the matchup between the Warriors and the Cavs? And that'll be our little sign-off. Let's start with you, Corey. I'm looking forward to the inverse of uh, you know what we've seen on with the Warriors and the Spurs is that they're gonna you know the Cavs are gonna be the team that's on you know a couple days of rest. They're not the road team. They're not in uh, you know they're, they're you know some home cooking. Yeah, it will be nice so they can take advantage and turn a you know five or six point deficit into like a ten point win. How about you, Nate? Uh- I'm I'm very anxious about the game, but uh, I'm 
I want to see Kyrie come into his own. I want to see Kyrie take the challenge and be Mr. Fourth Quarter and try to shut down Steph at the same time, try to make Steph guard him and and light it up. So there you go. E.G.? I'm really looking forward to seeing someone guard Sean Livingston's uh, mid-range J. <laughs> yeah, he went off last time. And, and no I'm one looking, and no one stopped him. Yeah. Yeah. I am looking forward to I want to see LeBron and Kevin Love um just committing to some post play against Draymond Green or Andrew Bogut, whoever's down there, Festus Azili or whatever. Um I thought the Cavs had a lot of success last year when LeBron just decided I'm taking Draymond down to the office over and over and over. And um, I like that. I like setting the tone. Don't get into a don't get into a shootout with those guys. Um, right. I think the make I think them play the Cavs, defense. I think the Cavs have the upper hand in the small forward, power forward, center department, and the Warriors have the advantage in the backcourt. So I, I'd like to see a slowdown East Eastern Conference style ball game. Well, there you go. Sounds good to me. Man, Marathon Pod. This was fun, guys. <laughs> well, it is a holiday tomorrow, so people can, uh, you know, spend people some time can with... listen at their leisure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. All right. And, I'm, I'm gonna uh, go, go do just... my. I'm gonna go do my laundry, guys. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. And we're out. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4:55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.